0: You're listening to Around Comics, episode 157. listening to another Monday edition of Around Comics, the Comic Culture Podcast. I'm Christopher Neisman, and I'll be your guide for the next hour plus of comic book news, information, and entertainment. And we have a big show planned for you today. Our Month of Heroes programming continues with part two of our conversation with comic book legend Denny O'Neill. Then we get you ready for the week ahead with new trade paperback and single issue releases. In a wire-to-wire comic book news special report, we talk with writer Greg Rucka about his decision to not renew his exclusive with DC Comics. Listen in as Greg sets the record straight about what this will mean for his existing and future projects. Tom Caters takes on all of the hard questions in his Answer Man segment, and John Mayo is back to talk about market trends inside of Diamond's Top 300. John and Matt of The Quiet Panelologists return for their A to Z of British comics. Jeremy Mullins has a heartwarming webcomic recommendation. And as always, Will Pfeiffer is here with new DVD releases and his cult movie pick of the week. All of that and more is next on Around Comics. Last week was the first of our two-part conversation with comic book legend Denny O'Neill. Last week we talked largely about how he got started in comics and his early years working at Marvel, Charlton Comics, and then his eventual move to DC Comics, where he would make his largest impact. That's where we pick up the conversation, talking about his early work on Batman, the character that he would help redefine and it would in turn help define his career in comics. You know, we've talked about Batman a little bit already, and he's certainly—you know—he and the Question are two characters that you're very closely tied to now and And you changed Batman quite a bit. you know you had to over your tenure. you You moved him from from the very campy sixties uh, almost TV show parody version of Batman back into the um, the, uh, the very dark and, and brooding Batman. Can you talk about what you did with that character and and why Batman has been able to sustain his popularity for almost 70 years now?
1: Uh, I, I can speak about that with a clear conscience, because <laughs> the editor asked me to change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and The first time I was offered Batman uh, was during the camp era. Uh, I try not to be judgmental, but I can say that camp was not my thing. I did do a fill-in story that Julie Schwartz eventually published, but it was straight. It was themed on New Orleans jazz, which I like and Julie loved. But the second time he offered me the character, uh, it was after the Adam West television show had gone off. It had been enormously popular for a year, pretty popular for a second year, limped into a third, and then it was gone. And with it, the whole camp phase, which is uh, kind of a postmodern trick of uh, making fun of your characters while you're presenting them. Yeah, but it was intended as a comedic show, and I thought, fine. It was one, also one of the few times in history when a character's success in another medium was reflected in the comic book sales. So they were kind of half-heartedly doing the television thing. I don't know that very many comic book guys liked or got camp, but there was some attempt, I think, to to follow that sensibility, and suddenly it was over. They had these two titles, Detective and Batman, and they were obviously going to keep publishing them, but it needed a new direction. So what Neil Adams and Julie Schwartz and I did was not take it back to exactly, I mean, for years I said my story was, well, we just went back to the original character and We added what people had learned about how to tell stories in this medium in the 25 years or so that it passed, and that's what we did. Then when I went back and read, you know, a sampling of those early stories, I saw what we did was go back and take what had been implicit in the character and move that to center stage, the lone-obsessed guy who symbolically avenges his parents murder by bringing justice to the world that had had from the fifth batman story on that was implicit in the series but not emphasized much at times like during the camp era i don't think even mentioned and then batman went through he was a very malleable character they didn't have i think in the early 40s any strong editorial direction. That was a brand new discipline. I don't think anybody really knew how to do it. Uh, they were making it up as they went along. Did a remarkably good job,
0: considering them, Considering most of them were very young guys. You don't think that they uh, they had any idea that sixty or seventy years later we'd be looking back and deconstructing what they what they did?
1: Oh Lord, no. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have any idea that anything was going to be remembered much more than three years. But Batman was, by 1945, he was carrying a platinum police badge. He was clearly a member of the establishment. In the Eisenhower uh, era, the 50s, he was Gotham's leading citizen contest. Spend the day with Batman. Spend a day in the flying Batcave. Yes, there was a flying Batcave. And He was very much a daytime character who waved to his fans and walked down the street and was beloved by the community. And I think that's kind of what the, the TV camp people were making fun of, or using as a point of departure for their satire. Then after that came the comedy, and after that came us. And what has happened is the character has evolved a lot. Secret of the Waiting Graves but in the same direction I mean there haven't been any sharp corners there's I think has been a natural progression to what whatever Batman is
0: now sure and and the characters seem to, to climax at that um, very dark, brooding, obsessed character with with Frank Miller's work on either um, Dark Knight Returns and and then his his fantastic uh, Year One, which you you were the editor over over Year One, and it, it seems like he kind of reached this this crescendo of the of that dark, brooding character, and has kind of tailed off a little bit, but still holds a lot of that is is at the core of the character.
1: Yeah, I think there is a little difference in interpretation depending on who's writing the stories. And I have no problem with that. What uh, year one was about was before I even got there, uh, Frank and David Mazzucchelli had agreed to do a, uh, a graphic novel. And I wanted to send a message to the readers that this is not your father's Batman, that we're going in a new direction. So I talked Frank and David into letting me publish the graphic novel as a series of comic books first, with the guarantee that it would be a very hardback within a year. And I don't know if there were other incentives or not, but uh, very generously they agreed to do that, and I could not have launched the new Batman in any better way. I mean, that story was just perfect for what I wanted
0: it for. I I remember as being a younger fan when that came out and it uh it was just this this amazing four issues that just exploded out of Batman. It was uh it, there was there was some hype to build it up, but you know, it just uh it just happened people knew that something pretty amazing was happening as that series was coming out.
1: Yeah, in retrospect it recreated um Gordon more than Batman Andy. even. Uh Gordon went from being a paper-thin, stock character to a fully developed, well-characterized human being.
0: Sure. And, and you see that now in the the new franchise of movies, Batman Begins. That Commissioner Gordon is very much based on the year one Commissioner Gordon. He
1: certainly is, yeah. He's not the overweight, avuncular, white mustache guy of, of my the, the Batman I loved when I was six years old. <laughs> Uh, He and Alfred are are good examples of how characters can evolve, and both of them started off as cliches, and over the years, they've both become solid characters, as as real almost as any fictional characters who are around, at least uh, fictional
2: characters who, who work the cereal farm, which has its problems.
0: Anyway, <laughs> well, you you had talked uh, you had mentioned uh, Neil Adams uh, briefly, and uh, anyone who's who's a fan of your work, along with Batman and the Question, uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow is one of the first that comes to mind, and and you guys with that title and, and some other work with I believe you know JLA at the time, you guys were were really kind of on the edge of some socially relevant storylines and some more adult-themed stories. When did you see the opportunity to to do that? Did you feel a responsibility to do some very socially relevant stories?
1: Yeah, I started doing them at Charlton. We did uh, uh, something called Children of Doom, which was a one-shot, and it, it contained a mild anti-war message. And then when I did the Justice League, I uh, was inspired in one issue by something that really happened in Ohio, a river caught fire due to the waste. Uh, but with GLGA, again, it was Julie coming and saying, well, I have this magazine which isn't doing very well. We want to keep publishing it. Do you have any ideas? Well, I was in a very mild way, an anti-war activist. I went on some of the marches and um, hung around with those people, probably more than any other group. And I certainly believed in the peace movement and in the civil rights movement, yet I am a very shy guy. And, um, uh, as a as friend of mine put it, I'm not going to get on the street corners and galvanize the masses with my fiery oratory. But what I did have ex- uh, available to me were comic books. And here was a very good editor. By that time, I had established a nice working relationship with him saying, take a shot. So again, it was... Uh, there was no reason on earth not to do that. And... Uh, I don't think I wrote the first story knowing that Neil was going to do the art, but he, when I saw the job, you know, I was blown away, particularly the last three panels of the first chapter, I think Neil did an extraordinary job. What was true, both of us, was that we had been in the comic book business, I think, just long enough to have our toolkits together. Mm -hmm. We knew how to do our jobs. And I think one of the things that working with real issues, genuine themes, does for you is kind of maybe force you to rise to to meet the challenge. Melville says somewhere to write a mighty book. You must have a mighty theme. Well, looking for Batman's secret identity is not much of a theme, really. You can get amusing stories out of it, but it would not qualify as one of Melville's mighty themes. The stuff we were dealing with... Did qualify, and I think that
0: brought out the best in us. Now it's you know we we look at at, at comics today, and, and and really more as as a medium than any kind of genre or, or genre holder. Do you feel like comics as a medium? This is kind of a heavy statement, but do you feel that there is a responsibility for comics in some way to to continue to be socially relevant? To use them as um, as a platform for for different messages? Do you think there's there's room for that in comics?
1: Oh, there's room for it. I don't think I'd make it a condition. Mm-hmm. And I think a danger is maybe happen with some of the stuff that followed us. It's really good to believe in what you're, you're the, the story you're telling. If you're doing it just to be relevant, in the same way that you might uh, write another story just to be funny, I don't know that it works as well. I mean, I think the world is in such a mess that Any information that can get out there in such a way that people will absorb it is good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I would like people who are going to do this maybe to do their homework. Mm -hmm. And it helps if they're genuinely concerned. A lot of comic book guys, a lot of people in general, are involved with um, the kids getting to school and paying the rent and the car broke. They work hard and they come home and they don't have time to think about these big issues. Maybe one of the luxuries of being a writer or artist is it's part of your job to think, to have time to think about the big issues.
0: Mm-hmm. But there's usually a, a committee that you have to get through to, to be able to voice those. And so yeah, and I
1: found that <laughs> if you're going to do this, it works best if you're assigned a, a book. That is not perceived as currently successful, because if something successful, well, it works. We ain't uh, it ain't broke. We ain't gonna try and fix it. And I mean, I have no quarrel with that either.
0: Or you come up with a character like uh, like Howard the Duck, like Steve Gerber did.
1: Yeah, you can go that direction, but you're not gonna take Spider-Man in that direction, or probably Batman or Superman, unless, as in the case of when Neil and I started doing Batman the book was at a low point. Mm-hmm. But if it's making money, of course, then people think they know what works, and they're right. It may not work two years from now, but it's working currently. So with both Batman and with uh, GLGA, whatever innovations we did were probably possible because the books were not perceived as successful at that particular
0: time. Sure. Green Lantern was kind of on, falling on hard times sales-wise, and uh, and I've heard you say uh, describe Green Arrow at that time. as kind of a kind of a clean slate that you guys could do whatever you wanted with that character.
1: Yeah, he had brought very little baggage. He'd been around since 1940 and never been popular enough to get his own title. Um, I think the creators of the character might deny this, but. Uh, Gee, there were an awful lot of similarities to Batman. Kid Sidekick, Arrow Car, Arrow Cave. But not that incredible costume. I was part of the genius of Finger and Kane to come up with that incredible silhouette that every artist I've ever met wants to draw at least once. Uh, Green Arrow was kind of a bland character and nothing very much had been established in terms of characterization. He was around, then working on a story, I think, written by Bob Haney. Neil gave him an interesting new look. All of a sudden, before we had this paper doll, we now have this really macho looking Robin Hood kind of guy. We knew that if we were going to do this socially relevant stuff, we probably needed two voices. Uh, Hal Jordan, I always described as the best cop you've ever met. Absolutely incorruptible, decent, everything you'd want a cop to be. But he was a cop. He took his orders. And as far as we could tell, didn't question very much. Took his orders from aliens who may not have very much of an understanding, and they decided that they had this little core of uh, intergalactic cops who uh, went around enforcing the Guardian's idea of what was right. So I didn't have any dislike for Hal at all. I would love to meet such a guy. But uh, he would represent that side of the spectrum, and we needed somebody to be the voice of anarchy and uh, liberalism and uh, libertarianism, all that stuff where the political right meets the political left, anti-authoritarian, street-level, angry, Mm -hmm. life-loving. So, you know, we just molded him to fit that need.
0: Your work on The Question uh, influenced a lot of today's writers, and, and one of those being Greg Rucka, who's one of my favorite writers. And, actually, and uh, one of
1: mine. Uh, and do, do you know his novels?
0: Oh, oh, are you kidding? Uh, Patriot Acts uh, just came out. Uh, fantastic uh, addition to the Atticus Kodiak line. And uh, Yeah,
1: I, I knew him as a private eye writer before he, I knew him as a comic
0: book writer. I, I love his espionage work. I'm a, big fan, a huge fan of Queen and Country. You, know, you you worked with Greg in the past on Batman, and and now he's really kind of adopted the question. Uh, have you talked with him about what he's doing with the question, and the direction that he's taken the character?
1: No, but uh, I'm sure it's fine. I, I won't agree with everything, but that I mean, when I took over for uh, Daredevil from Frank Miller, we went out to dinner after I'd been doing it about six months, and he said, "Well, I I knew I had to either." stop reading the book or stop going to dinner with you. <laughs> because anytime somebody takes over something that you have been involved with professionally, and though we try not to let this happen, that generally involves some level of emotional involvement, um, it's going to, part of it's going to, parts of it are going to seem wrong to you. And that probably means the, the, the new guy's doing his job. <laughs> sure. The characters have to evolve. They have to change. The reason that Batman is still around after 68 years is he has evolved. It was a trick that Julie Schwartz knew. And I think he knew it intuitively. And I probably picked it up from him. Uh, let keep the essence of the character intact. Flash is the fastest man alive. That man is, uh, obsessed. His uh, life mm-hmm. destroyed by a terrible tragedy, and he's decided to make lemonade of that particular lemon. That stuff stays intact. Everything else changes it has
0: to or the characters become dated sure and it's the characters that have that strong core that that strong element you know that's the spider-man he's the, the geeky kid that is finally you know always trying to fix what he's done wrong that, that will always yeah be you never
1: outgrow your inner geek mm-hmm. sure. uh that's the way stan once explained spider-man to me so you know you're this loser uh in high school who has trouble with your peer group and trouble with girls and trouble with your family and you overnight acquire these powers you're still going to have trouble with girls trouble with your peer group and trouble with your family only you're going to be able to jump 12 stories while
0: having these troubles stan was pretty smart he he knew the core of those characters that's why they stayed around
1: so long yeah he and julie we invented superheroes in the late '50s, early '60s, and I don't know that we, any of us, would be doing the work we're doing if it hadn't been for the two of them. I count myself blessed that these are the two greatest editors in the history of this medium, and I work for both. Wow.
0: Well, there's uh, there's a lot of people that have worked for for both of them, and I don't want to wrap up here talking about uh, a lot of the creators that you know. I'm I'm sure that you've worked with a lot of them, and, and and you came in at a time that that you bridged a lot of the old to the new, and and there are a lot of creators out there that uh, have fallen on hard times. That there's there's a lot that uh, that needs to be done, and and the the reason that we're talking with you tonight is that we're doing our month of heroes, and we want to bring attention to the hero initiative which you're very active with and i just want to have you in your own words talk about how important the hero initiative is
1: yeah uh i think it's the best thing i do i wish i could do more comic book people work without a safety net they have no pension plans Usually no insurance plans. They can work long and honorably and have one bad thing happen to them, a heart attack or a stroke, and suddenly find themselves in desperate situations. So what Heroes Initiative does is not solve all those problems, but do something. We give them enough money to get them up past the crisis. I think seven of us who look at requests for money and collectively decide. I think it's a simple majority vote. I I would not, with a gun at my head, mention names, but you'd be surprised at some of them. People that I certainly thought were comfortable, but life is not always fair. They may need rent, they may need grocery money, they may need help
0: with medical problems. And we're, in some cases, the only place they've got to go to look for that help. Sure, there's a there's a misconception by a lot of people that just because you worked on a character or maybe created a character that you own all the rights to that character, and that old you know, comic book creators kind of are rolling in money, and that's that's very much not the case.
1: No, it's not. It is almost never the case. There've probably been a few. Uh, Todd McFarlane, Stan maybe half-dozen or so others who fit what you describe. But most of us live very modest middle-class existences. If you have families and other obligations, there's often not very much left over to save. There are guys who work, who live from job to job, from check to check. It is not their fault that the universe is not treating them thoroughly. Yeah, people have a wildly exaggerated idea of how much money we make. Uh, I went back to St. Louis and talked to an old roommate, and, uh, you know, the question of money came up, and he allowed us well, what do you make, about a mil a year? Well, <laughs> you're, you're, you're way off. <laughs> I can't tell you how much you're off. And I at that time was one of the better paid people in the field. So it's a thing that people do, as corny as this sounds, more for love. When Roy and I started in it, there was no such thing as a comic book career. You could not expect uh, any back-end money or any help of any kind. You did it because you really had fun doing it. You loved the art form. You loved the idea of superheroes, something like that not uh, with your eyes on some kind of uh, financial prize in the future.
0: And that's true even to this day. There are so many people that just want to break into the industry just to make comics for the love of it. And of that works
1: fine until you have your first kit. Sure. As long as you're in a position to live with roommates in Brooklyn and live on pizza, it can be a great adventure, and I'd even recommend it. For people who have no outstanding obligations, do that for five years. Comes a point at which either you feel compelled to take on obligations, or life thrusts them on you, or you get sick. You can't do that anymore, and at that point, maybe you need Heroes Initiative
0: sure and it's it's a great charity it's definitely there for a reason, and they do survive on donations and it's very easy to do that you'll hear about all of uh, the details on how to do that in just a minute but uh please go and and donate uh, especially this time of year. It is a great cause. Absolutely. Uh, Amen. Denny, thank you so much. It has been uh, it's been a highlight of, of my year to to talk with you, and I uh, really wish uh, you and yours a, a happy holiday. And uh, please know that you are welcome back any time that you'd like to talk with us.
3: Well, thanks a lot. I've enjoyed it.
0: And that will conclude our two-part conversation with Denny O'Neill. Definitely want to thank Denny for spending so much time talking with us. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, please remember that this was made possible because of our Month of Heroes programming. It's a great time in the holiday season for you to help make a difference in the life of a veteran creator in need. Very easy. You just go to AroundComics.com. There is a PayPal button on the home page, and whether it's a dollar, three dollars, ten dollars, or more, know that every dollar counts, and there's no better way to get into the holiday spirit as a comics fan than by giving to the Hero Initiative. So thank you again to Denny and all the fine folks at the Hero Initiative. Look forward to the rest of the month as we bring more great Month of Heroes programming. Let's get you ready for the week ahead with new trade paperback releases. Here is Collected Comics Libraries, Chris Marshall.
4: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this Monday's Trade 5 Report. Here we go. Let's do the new releases for the week of December 12, 2007. Let's start off with DC Comics this week. Showcase presents the Justice League of America Volume 3 trade. This is for 17, collecting Justice League of America 37 through 60. Countdown Special, The Atom 80-page giant number one. This collects stories from Super Team Family number 11 and 12. That's for five bucks. Number two will be out the following week. Welcome to Tranquility, volume one, The Trade, for 20 bucks, collecting one through six of that series. We also have The Young Magician, volume 10, for 10 bucks, and new printings of Batman Haunted Night, the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale book. That's The Trade, for 15 bucks, and also... Fables Volume 9 Sons of the Empire trade for 18 bucks. That gets a new printing as well. Let's move over to Marvel, The Essential Doctor Strange, Volume 3. Collecting Doctor Strange 1 through 29, Annual Number 1, and Tomb of Dracula 44 and 45 for 17. New X-Men Childhood's End Volume 5, the trade. Collecting New X-Men 37 through 43, that is $18. Nova, Volume 1, Annihilation Conquest gets a trade collecting Nova 1 through 7 for 18 bucks that's the current series of course Criminal Volume 2 Lawless Trade for $15 The Irredeemable Ant-Man Volume 2 The Small-Minded Digest collecting 7 through 12 of his series that's for 10 bucks and Marvel Adventures Fantastic 4 Volume 7 The Silver Surfer Digest collecting 25 through 28 of that series that's for $7 And rounding it out from Marvel, Civil War Chronicles number 6. Collecting Civil War number 4 and Fantastic Four 541 and 542, that is $5. I can't believe we have six more issues of the Civil War Chronicles to go. And if you're like me, I'm kind of done with Civil War, especially with all the reprints going on. You've got Marvel's new digital revolution going on on their website. And you also have the complete Civil War epic coming out on DVD-ROM in January, so I think they can pretty much stop with these Chronicles, but maybe they're committed to it and they're going to see it out the entire year and, you know, we're definitely having our fellow Civil War. Uh, Let's move over to Dark Horse, the Korosagi Corpse Delivery Service Volume 5 the Trade. Moving over to Devil's Due, we have Dragonlance Chronicles Volume 3, Dragons of Spring Dawning Trade Paperback for $19. Over at Silent Devil, we've got Astronaut Dad, Volume 1, a very critically acclaimed graphic novel, for $6. Over at Tomorrow's Publishing, Modern Masters, Volume 14, Frank Cho, for $15. Over at Virgin Comics, Nicholas Cage's Voodoo Child Trade comes out in a limited edition rough cut version for $10. And over at Wizard, if you're into Wizard magazines, they've got the Toy Fair Iron Man movie cover number 126 for $5 out this week. Not a whole lot of news, but there was news on the blogosphere, especially over at the Savage Critics, where Douglas Walk blogged about DC's new graphic novel catalog for summer of 2008. Doug got his hands on this list, and there's 150 items in all coming out in the summer from DC. And he only blogs about a few of them, but let me give you a rundown of what he does blog about, and I have it blogged on my website as well. This includes, let's see, coming out in May, Batman, The Resurrection of Ra's al Ghul, Jack Kirby's OMAC, a $25 hardcover described as a companion to Jack Kirby's Fourth World Omnibus series, The Legion of Superheroes, 1,050 years in the future. That is a retrospective anthology commemorating 50 years since Adventure Comics 247. The Absolute Sandman Volume 3 will be coming out in May. Vertigo First Cut, Collects the first issues of Army at Love, Crossing Midnight, DMZ, The Exterminators, Jack of Fables, Loveless, and Scalped. This is all for five bucks in that nifty little trade. The Brian Wood Becky Cloonan miniseries demo will be coming out in June. Also coming out in June: All-Star Batman and Robin, The Boy Wonder, Volume One; Why the Last Man, Volume Ten: Why's and Wherefores; The New York Four; Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly's mixed book. And then we get to a big one coming out in June, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Black Dossier, The Absolute Edition, for $99. So if you're like me and ran out and got your copy of The Black Dossier because you're afraid it was going to sell out, well, guess what? You can buy it all over again this summer. World of Warcraft Volume 1 comes out in July, as well as Janes in Love, the sequel to The Plain Janes. All-Star Superman Volume 2 will be coming out in August. And so will The Spirit Archive's volume 25. The series was supposed to wrap up with archive number 24, but it appears now that DC is extending the series not by just one volume, but two volumes. This will collect of all Eisner's work that he ever did on The Spirit. So look for number 25 in August, and then number 26 probably next December or so. America's Best Comic Sampler is also coming out in August. And then finally, a bunch of books that we don't have dates for, months for, whatever, but we know they are coming out in the summer. This includes Booster Gold 52 Pickup, Superman Escape from Bizarro World, The Crime Bible, The Five Lessons of Blood, Green Lantern, The Sinestro Corps War, Volume 2, Green Lantern, Tales of the Sinestro Corps, Justice League of America, The Injustice League, Superman Last Son, The Flash, The Wild West, Superman and the Legion of Superheroes, Astro City, The Dark Ages, Volume 1, The Brave and the Bold, The Book of Destiny, The Death of the New Gods, we'll be getting a trade paperback, and then some book that includes The Metal Men. So that's pretty cool news. That'll keep you busy and you guys can speculate. And hopefully now that it's out there and Doug blogged about it and I picked it up on mine and a bunch of other sites are now picking up on this list, hopefully DC will be forced to... Oh, maybe that's a strong word. Maybe this will encourage them, I should say, to release the full list of 150 items to the public, and uh, eh, probably will sometime in the future, anyway. So that's it. This Monday's trade five for around comics. I'm Chris Marshall, collected comics library. Chris Marshall is the host of the Collected Comics Library podcast.
0: You can find the podcast release schedules and checklist of everything collected at collectedcomicslibrary.com. Let's take a look at some of the new single issues that will be shipping this week. Please note that this is only a partial highlighted list and shipping dates are subject to change without notice. Let's start with Dark Horse Comics and BPRD The Killing Ground number 5 of 5. This is the John Arcudi and Mike Mignola written and Guy Davis drawn series that has spun out of the pages of Hellboy and is an Around Comics favorite. And the solicit for uh, the fifth issue of Killing Ground says that the BPRD team will never be the same after the conclusion of this series. So make sure and check that out. From Image Comics this week, four very strong titles uh, beginning with The Astounding Wolfman number four. This is the Robert Kirkman and Jason Howard series that is tied into the Invincible Universe but definitely stands on its own. It is a new take on some old themes. This series started on Free Comic Book Day and is now on its fourth issue, so it is certainly early enough in that series that if you haven't checked it out, you can certainly catch up pretty quickly. We also have Crawl Space Number Two. This is the Triple X Zombies story from Rick Remender and Tony Moore with uh, art by Kieran Dwyer. So. That uh, great first issue So see where Crawl Space is Heading and Elephant Men War Toys number one This is the much anticipated story From Richard Starkings and Company over at Active Images and Comicraft And Image so uh, Hip Flask Fans and Elephant Men fans Can uh, look forward to picking that up This week we also have The Walking Dead number 45 the uh, second Robert Kirkman book coming out this week From Image as his No One Is Safe Storyline Continues over at dc the all-new booster gold number five comes out and we see if jeff johns is serious about sending booster gold back in time to perhaps save barbara gordon from the fate that would put her in a wheelchair this of course happening in the pages of the fantastic the killing joke by alan moore so uh fans of the killing joke and of booster gold and of Batgirl can check that one out. It's a very big week for uh, Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps as we see Green Lantern number 25, Green Lantern Corps number 19, and Tales of the Sinestro Corps Presents all coming out this week as the Sinestro Corps uh, event is winding down to its conclusion. Uh, Simon Dark number three is coming out this week, and around comics, uh, listener and uh, poster on the forum, Freaky Tiki, is a very big fan of Simon Dark. Sent us a couple issues and uh, and asked us to check them out. I had actually already been reading the series. It is uh, an interesting take on Gotham. It's uh, written by Steve Niles, and I think it's some of his better comic book work. So if you like Steve Niles, if you like the idea of a uh, I- I call it a Crow-inspired series taking place in Gotham. You may want to check out Simon Dark. And we'll wrap up DC with Wonder Woman number 15 with uh, Gail Simone's second issue on her Wonder Woman stint. Heading over to Marvel. It's a, a fairly light week for me, anyway, as we see New Avengers number 37 and the march towards the secret invasion continues. Uh, coming out under the Ultimate line is Ultimate Iron Man 2, number one of four. This is the sequel. ...to the Orson Scott Card uh, Ultimate Iron Man miniseries. Uh, special note, though, that Pascal Ferry is on art duties for this. And I am a huge Pascal Ferry fan. I think he's one of the, the truly underrated talents in comics... If you haven't already, do yourself a favor and track down the Adam Strange Planet Heist trade paperback that is written by Andy Diggle with R by Pascal Ferry, one of my favorite outer space sci-fi stories in recent memory. We'll finish up with a couple titles from Vertigo. First of all, we have DMZ number 26. And Scout number twelve. If you remember a couple weeks back when we were talking with Jason Aaron, he had mentioned that he was working with artist John Paul Leon on an issue of Scout, and this is the issue where we see Leon on art duties. Uh, if you haven't checked out Scout, can't recommend it enough. Well, that'll take care of some of the highlighted single issues coming out this week. Uh, hope you find some great stuff at the local comic shop. This portion of Around Comics is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. And now available from Ape is the Fablewood Anthology Volume 1. It's a lavish 144-page original graphic novel containing 13 complete fantasy stories and featuring the art of invincible artist Ryan Otley, as well as alumni from Flight and Pop Gun Anthologies. Fablewood covers a variety of themes within the fantasy genre, from slice of life to sword and sorcery. No fantasy fan should go without. For previews of some of the amazing art in the Fablewood Anthology and tons of other ape goodness, visit our friends at www.apecomics.com. Instead of our regular Wired Wire comic foot news segment, this week we're going to run a special interview. Uh, one of the bigger news stories that came out last week was that Greg Rucca has decided to not renew his DC exclusive. We were lucky enough to spend a couple minutes talking with Greg about what exactly this means and what is going to be happening with his current and future projects. We joined the conversation talking about how Greg informed folks about his decision to not re up his exclusive with DC. Your blog post this week when you kind of informed your internet fan base that you had decided not to re up your exclusive with DC Comics. And and I think
5: Yeah, I like how everybody read the first one. Nobody seems to have read the second post.
0: Well, I haven't even read the second post yet. What did you what did you post?
5: I clarified, there was a post after it, and I was like, okay, you know, I actually called it, I think, Teacups and tempests because I think this whole thing got blown wildly out of proportion. You know, the, the, the natural hysteria of the internet. I'm no longer exclusive to D.C. That's all. That's all. I'm no longer exclusive to dC you know that initial that, that, that was buried in a larger post about um, just a general work funk, and there's you know stuff that have been going on that I've been dealing with that had sort of exhausted me, I think that people uh, not unreasonably connected the two very strongly, you know so all, all, all it is at the end of the day is that I've been exclusive to d c for four and a half years, four and a half years for a long time. So I'm not exclusive to them anymore. That's all. It's not that I'm not going to work there. It's not that I don't like people there. It's not that there are not characters there that I love and would happily write stories about. It's simply that I need to change how I'm doing my work and I want to open up my schedule
0: a little bit. All right, so we'll we'll get a couple of the big questions out of the way here. That uh, just to kind of clarify for for people out there, and these are the kind of questions I've seen on a lot of forums. Is uh, number one, are you still planning to stay with Checkmate as as long as you can?
5: Yes, there uh, is a uh, there is a Checkmate plan in 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 the works, um, and I don't want to say anything more about it. Okay, uh, we've got. Well, it's the next issue is the start of the Mademoiselle Marie two-parter, uh, which is going to focus on Tautan and also the Mademoiselle Marie legacy, sort of explain what the legacy is, how she got it, and, uh, put it in a historical context so that you see the World War II Maries, um, and, and things like that. And, uh, then from that we go into Castling, which is a three-part story that will finally, ultimately reveal the rooks. That Ooh. will be characters that people will be like, those are the Rooks. Those are the Rooks? That's not what we thought the Rooks were going to be.
0: I'm expecting the Rooks to be pretty badass.
5: Well, the Rooks are exceptionally badass, but the Rooks are exceptionally badass. You know, Superman is a badass, but he's not a badass, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Sure. You know sure. what? Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't send Superman in if uh, you need to kill everybody in the room. <laughs> you know, he won't do it, number one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And number two, not really an appropriate use of the skill. You know, <laughs> okay. you, use, you use Superman to say we have to evacuate the city in 15 minutes. You use, you use the rooks when when there's got to be blood on the sand. And it's either got to be done quickly, completely, precisely, or because there's no other option.
0: Well, I can tell from all of that that you're obviously still very excited about Checkmate and what you guys are doing with that project. And I, and I know that that series has been a passion of yours at DC. And I think that's the big thing with all the news that came out this week is you kind of alluded that it it was getting blown out of proportion is that you're still going to be at DC, but it's just going yeah. to open there's, up. There's stuff
5: mm-hmm. that I'm going to do. There, there's stuff that's in the works. There's stuff that's in progress. I'm going to continue doing it. This is not... A uh, how to put this? This is not a um, traditional comic book parting of the ways. You know, I mean, in this industry where everybody seems to have to leave in hysteria, have I had frustrations at DC? Yes. Um, Does that mean that I'm holding them in particularly ill will, or feel that therefore I must go to Marvel? Absolutely not. But you know, find me a business, find me one business where you know people are not going to have. Conflicts in the workplace Sure At some point And uh, and, I'll, and I'll show you A game of Candyland it, 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 You know it, I wish I wish There are two things Going on here One it would be Unprofessional of me In the extreme To cite examples Of things that I feel You know uh, Could have been Handled better um, But two Ultimately that's irrelevant Because it's My decision It's not DC's You know and at the end of the day, I'm doing what I feel I need to do for myself. Like I said, four and a half years, long time. Time to be able to focus some
0: energies in other places. Sure. Well, the, the next question that, that is being brought up a lot, and there are a lot of Marvel fans out there that see this as maybe an opportunity for you to to go across the, the street and and start working on some Marvel stories. Is that something that you're open to, at least at this point?
5: Yeah, I'm open to it. Are there any plans? No, there are no plans at this time. for all those people who are assuming, oh, well, he's going to go sign over there, he's been wooed. That's not the case. I'm open to it. Uh, We'll see what discussions may happen. You know, it's funny. The blog post came out, and within like eight hours, I was getting job offers from all over the place. (laughs) And it's flattering as hell, but there are all these offers that didn't seem to understand the reason for me leaving the exclusive, you know? It was like, I'm not actually looking for more work at this time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. looking for projects that I really, really want to do. Some of those projects are projects that I already have in the works and things that I've been after for a while. And then we'll see, you know? So, you know, this is for the record, you know, shout out to the lens, I'm not, I'm not looking to re-up with anybody
0: at this point is this going to free you up for obviously your creator own stuff and some of the projects like Stumptown town and queen and country that you have in the works at oni or are you going to be focusing maybe more on novels
5: yeah i mean i'm gonna you know I, I there's some town scripts that need to be written i've been talking to you know matthew southworth just uh, fired me off an email about a half an hour ago actually and he and i are hopefully going to talk in the next day or two and make sure that that's up and running because i really do want that i, I want I want first issue out by San Diego. Um, that that matters to me. That's that's a project I'm very passionate about. and I'm going to get back to. I'm not sure if that's right up on the agenda. And then yeah, there are these novelty thingies that you know I've been known to write on occasion. And I need to get back to those. And then
1: there are some other
0: things too. Before we uh, let you go here, there are a couple other projects I wanted to get an update on. First of all, the second issue of your current question series, uh, the five, five Lessons of Blood. I'm really enjoying the series. We have uh, we have three left, so looking forward yeah. to the the conclusion for that. Uh, I don't know if you can talk about it right now, or if it's anything that uh, has been announced. Any any current plans to to do more question work, or are we just going to have to wait and see?
5: Yeah, there are plans to do more. Great. There are plans for two more projects, at least, barring explosive complication or or, or radical change of things. Uh, We should see the next one probably by summer, maybe. (laughs) Things are understandably in flux this week, as one might expect.
0: (laughs) Sure. And the next project, of course, we have... Uh, white out both the movie and hopefully white out volume three to, uh, to look yeah. forward to very very soon
5: yeah I have uh, I've committed the gravest and I think a writer can commit to an artist I haven't delivered the script in its entirety yet and um frankly the fact that Steve Lieber has not come to my house and beat me within an inch of my life is probably due only to the fact that he knows that if I was hospitalized I wouldn't be able to write it um <laughs> So he's got the patience of a saint. And, sure. uh, and and he's been doing those amazing illustrations for the start of the, each issue of Crime Bible. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just to sing the praises of Lieber. Um, looking at, you know, I've been rewriting and rewriting and rewriting the first script. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm revisiting a character that I haven't touched in, you know, eight years. And Steve and I had a long, long chat you know several actually conversations about what we wanted this mini to be and the things we wanted to accomplish and I'm putting probably inordinate pressure on myself for this script you know I really want to make sure it's right um, so he should I'm hoping to get it to him in the next actually three or four days which is only, you know, a full two and a half months after I said he'd have it. <laughs> uh, so, honestly, like I said, it really is a small miracle that he hasn't come after me with a baseball bat. Um, I'm hoping that that it will... I'm hoping the delay on my end will will be justified when he reads it um, and says, okay, yeah, this was worth it.
0: Fantastic. And um, any, uh, any word on the release date for the film yet?
5: No idea. <laughs> I'm... Um, there's this little strike thing going on I'd heard about, so I think that may be affecting it. But I honestly don't know. I suspect it's going to be sometime 2008. Um, and and mind you, this is a guy talking who does not know, so nobody should take what I say as anything other than Greg idly speculating. But my suspicion is it probably won't be spring, and it would probably be suicide to bring it out this summer what with everything else that's coming out this summer sure. so i'm thinking we may be looking at fall of a late
0: greg it is always a pleasure to talk with you i'm glad that we were able to to clarify what is going on with <laughs> with you and your writings at dc and we can get people to stop panicking now checkmate's not <laughs> going anywhere
5: yes yes it is a cause for panic. <laughs> i have to say it's flattering uh as, as all hell to see as many people You know, I got I got some wonderful, wonderful notes, Mm -hmm. Um, and that really is yeah. There's just no other way to put it. It it makes you feel very good to know that there are people out there who like the work that much. Um, But yeah, I'm not I'm not going away. I may be you know less prolific for a little while than I have been, but I ain't going away. I love comics. You know, why would I stop writing?
0: Thank you so much, uh, as always, and we will uh, we'll check in with you after uh, after the beginning of the new year. Fantastic. Right. You take care, Chris. All right. Bye bye. And we always like hearing from Greg. Want to thank him for spending some time with us to set the record straight there. If you're interested in keeping up with what Greg is going to be working on, uh, I'd suggest either checking out the comicblock.com forums or going to his live journal at ruckawriter.livejournal.com. Twice a month, John Mayo goes inside the numbers on the business side of comics. This week, we hear about market trends inside of Diamond's Top 300.
6: Here is a breakdown of the sales of the Top 300 comics reported by Diamond for October 2007, based on what Diamond shipped to retailers during the month. The estimated total volume of the list was 7,150,000 comics, which is up by 456,000 copies from last month and up by 1,051,000 copies from October 2006. At full cover price, this works out to an estimated value of $22,917,000, which is an increase of $1,414,000 from the previous month and an increase of $3,854,000 from October 2006. The publisher with the largest percentage of the top 300 comics for October was DC Comics which had 43.08% of the total units sold with 107 items on the list. The top selling item for DC was Justice League of America number 14 in spot 3 with an estimated 102,000 copies. This was down 22,300 copies from the estimated total reported sales of the previous issue. This was also the first issue of the series not to have a variant cover. Marvel Comics had the second highest number of total units with 2,923,000 copies, accounting for 40.88% of the total top comics sold in October. They did this with 80 different items on the list. The top selling item for Marvel Comics was New Avengers 35 in ranked number one, with an estimated 111,000 copies, down 1,400 copies from the estimated total reported sales of the previous issue. Dark Horse came in with the third highest piece of the pie, with 4.64% of the total units sold and had 18 different items on the list top-selling item for Dark Horse was Buffy the Vampire Slayer No. 7 in Rank 7 with an estimated 94,000 copies, a decrease of 5,800 units. This month, the title with the biggest increase in sales over the previous issue was Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man No. 24 in Slot 2, which gained an estimated 65,600 units, resulting in an estimated 110,300 copies sold. This was part of the One More Day storyline, which has had one more delay, making this the only Spider-Man title for the month. For Around Comics, I'm John Mayo.
0: John Mayo writes the Mayo Report 2007-08 Top Comics each month, which examines the sales estimates and market trends for comic books, graphic novels, and collected editions. He's also the host of the Comic Book Page podcast. You can find his articles at comicbookresources.com and his podcast and sales estimates charts at comicbookpage.com.
3: Hello, John. We're back again. Hooray! To continue the quiet panel is just at work, A to Z of British Comics. What letter are we on this week, Matt? We're on B this week, John. We're early. Starting early. Well, we're not starting early. Okay. We're starting at B. We did A last week. Okay, so what's your B? My B in the A to Z of British Comics is the Beano. <gasps> I've heard of that. The Beano comic is a long-running British children's comic published by DC Thompson and Co. Limited of Dundee, Scotland in the United Kingdom. It's a comic. And that's why it's in our list. That's right. It was first published in 1938, during the Second World War. Did you wow. know that? Yeah. The Beano was the first comic I ever bought. Really? Yeah. There you go. It's, it's, it's a, a comic Kumball. strip, though, isn't it, really? It's like a humour comic. It is. It launched the Bash Street Boys, Minnie the Minx, Roger the Dodger. The bash Street Boys. The yeah. back, not the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if Beano... You mean the Bash Street Kids. Is, but no, The Backstreet Boys. Oh right, they were in the Bino. Yeah, that's where they first launched. The Backstreet I didn't Boys know that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, new kids on the block. <laughs> uh, take that no I didn't launch any of them, that's um that's a, a total lie. But obviously the most important one out of all of this was Dennis the Menace. Yes, but not the Dennis the Menace that the Americans know. No, it's a different Dennis the Menace. Yeah, that's a different that's a, guy, a little kid with like blonde hair and a dog. Mm. Whereas this Mine. was Dennis the Menace oh. with black hair and a dog. Yeah. And Better. the Beano still runs today. And sometimes if you buy it, you get a free candy bar or something on the front cover. Yeah, so, B, the Beano. OK, well, I've got B. I've got two. I've cheered. Oh, B cheap. for Bristol and B for Birmingham. What's Bristol and Birmingham? They're just towns. Well, that's what you would think. But there is a comic connection because in Bristol, every year we have the Comic Expo. Oh, and it's the UK's largest comic book event. And it's in Bristol. And it used to be the Comic Festival, but now it's called the Comics Expo. That's quite a coincidence, because it used to be run by a guy who worked on the Beano. It's very true. It used to be run by Kev F. Everland, who is a writer-artist for the Beano. Crazy. Small world, it? It's a small world, after all. And the other B is Birmingham, which is now the second comic convention in the UK and that's called the comic show and it's been going for two years and it is very good you know the joy of the UK comic convention is that they're not very big that's not really a joy is it well it's a joy if you like small things but that's just true my girlfriend likes small things (laughs) <laughs> That's just as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of luck. Jeff Johns has been there, and he at the yeah, at UK Comic Conventions, he came over had a pint. Brian K Vaughan popped along one year. Yeah, Jeff Loeb has he been there? No, he couldn't come. All right. Do you remember that year I took my uh, new Warriors six issue mini series along for Scotty Young to sign? Yeah, I remember that. And he was going to come to the Birmingham Kite Convention, but apparently he didn't renew his passport mm. like a fool. Mm. So, uh, Scotty Young's listening. I want my new Warriors comic signed. Yeah, I want a sketch. Yeah, right. So that's uh, B then. The Bno. That was B. You cheated, man. You've had Bristol and Birmingham. I could have Brighton as well. So that's B in the A to Z of British comics. We are quite panologists at work, and you'll find us at www.panologists.com. Hooray! Hooray!
2: <laughs>
0: Comics aren't just in comic shops and bookstores anymore. You can find thousands of web comics online. And Jeremy Mullins is here to save you hours of searching the internet by telling us where to find the best and brightest in the ever changing world of web comics.
2: Before I begin today, uh, I have to say that I, I thought very long and hard about this week's recommendation. It it all started when when the manager of the local coffee shop that that I go into, he pulls me over to the side and says, I'll come over here to the computer, I came across this webcomic today and you gotta see it. And uh, since starting this segment here on Around Comics, I've been getting a lot of that, which is really cool for the most part. I've been turned on to some really cool stuff that I otherwise wouldn't have come across. But he starts off by saying that he was on some site called... Kantaku.com, which is apparently some site for obsessive video game players and and it's about a mom and a kid playing a game called Animal Crossing or something like that I don't know whatever beyond Guitar Hero my video game playing is less than universal not knocking the medium it's just just something that I'm not that attuned to but I don't mind telling you that at this point given the fact that it's some site I can't pronounce you know, it's about some game called Animal Crossing, about a mom and a kid playing together, or something like that. I, I have to admit that I was kind of skeptical, uh, and I would have, I would have been completely, except for the fact that Chris, the manager guy, is just a brilliant human being, and he's introduced me to more cool shiznit over this past year than, than anybody. So I decided to trust him, and that's what you should do now. You should trust me with this recommendation. Uh, the webcomic that, that I'm about to recommend is something uh, you should definitely just check out. If I give you any kind of heads up or any kind of spoilers, uh, it would completely ruin the comic. And I've been thinking about it all week. And I, I had reservations recommending it. It's not funny or hysterical or anything. Or, or it's, it's, it's not a comic that you'll go back to every single week. It's a one and done. And so I would actually recorded a completely different segment. I was going to recommend a different comic strip, web comic altogether. But uh, you know, in all honesty, this this just kept coming back to me. And uh, all I can tell you about this particular comic uh, that I'm recommending is that it was originally from a Korean gaming site called ThisIsGame.com, and it has been translated into English also say that you if you don't know anything about this game Animal Crossing or video games in general or whatever it's okay it's it's not really about that it's more of a of a, of a story about a about a guy and his mom and uh, like I said I don't want to I don't want to spoil it uh, anymore because it'll just ruin the story but you know get your Kleenex handy uh, have it have it next to you have the box next to you I won't lie when I read it I got a little misty and it's a bit of a gut punch but it's really really good in all fairness it really deserves to be highlighted this week even though it's not uh... it's not something funny uh... it's something kinda of serious so now, th- uh, now that that's said go check out spoileryumcom backslash animal it's a uh, sorry for the inconvenient and cumbersome url sal's been adding the link right up at the top of the AroundComics.com homepage um, right where the episode breakdowns are and it's been really cool and really helpful but I'll spell it out again it's Spoilerium S-P-O-I-L-E-R-I-U-M dot com backslash AnimalCrossing.jpg so check it out it's uh, really good and um, for Around Comics I'm Jeremy W. Mullins
0: Jeremy Mullins is a professor of sequential art at the Savannah College of Art and Design. You can find more about the school and their programs of study at www.scad.edu. Hello.
7: Hello morning. Uh, this is Tom, and this is the part of the show where you ask and I tell. Uh, you know, I get a lot of comments from people that sound like uh, when I'm talking into the microphone that I'm trying to be quiet. Well, today, I really am. I'm in my girlfriend's apartment in St. Louis, and there's it's like a triple date weekend. All the ladies have their boyfriends in town, uh, and the sound carries in this house like you wouldn't believe. So, Trying to avoid having everyone wake up to me answering this question, so I've turned the mic way up. I'm lounged in bed and I'm relaxing, so hopefully it doesn't come across as too secretive, though. You know, it kind of creates a nice atmosphere of, uh, of you know, I'm sharing an intimate secret with all twenty of you that listen to this podcast, or oh, probably the five that listen to this section. So, let's get straight to the question. And this week it comes from Heath Daddio, who asked Tom. There's so many... Well, actually, it's Favorite Gorilla Comic Story? Question mark Is the subject. And the question is, There are so many to choose from. Which is your favorite? Here are some of mine. The Secret Origins issue dedicated to Simeon's. Uh, I really like that issue. It's got a nice uh, Gorilla grad origin inside of it. Uh, the Swamp Thing Annual with the Apes. Yeah, I also enjoy that one quite a bit. Day of Vengeance with Detective Chimp. Detective Chimp... I would also throw in the... Uh, The Helmet of Fate one-shot starring Detective Fate with the Brian Boland cover. I thought that was a fantastic Detective Chimp story. Uh, The Doom Patrol, where Brain and Mala reveal their monkey love. Awkward. Yes, and uh, they show up a ton in the Doom Patrol. But, for me, for my money, for where I'm going to go to if I want to read some good gorilla comics, I go to DC Special number 16, Superheroes Battle Super Gorillas. Uh... It was one of the um reprint issues that d c was putting out where they put you know themed issues that have space a sp- issue with all the space heroes and then they'd have an issue of gorillas and superheroes fighting gorillas and inside of it you have four awesome stories you have Batman and Robin fighting a scientist who turned uh himself into an ape if I remember correctly <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Not only does he turn himself into an ape, but then he creates a fanny pack bomb, which he wears around Gotham. Uh, Guess what? Batman and Robin have to stop him. Fantastic story. We have Wonder Woman fighting uh, super apes from another planet who come with a ray that turns humans into apes. So they turn uh, Wonder Woman into an ape. Well, you know, it gets all reversed around and everyone blasts each other with the ray and it's comedic and in the end, the apes decide that they don't really want to mate with Wonder Woman and that they should maybe just go find some female gorillas on their own planet. Though technically, I don't know if an ape from Another World really fits that criteria, but they threw it in there. We got a... My favorite, Flash-fighting Gorilla Grodd, who escapes from a prison, makes a raid that makes everyone like him, and then he runs for the mayor of Central City. Uh, he almost works, falls apart then, and of course we have Superman fighting Titano, which is, you know, might be my favorite, because he's the biggest, you know, the biggest disappointment part in the story is that there's no Beppo. But if if I had to choose one, co- uh, one ape comic, it would be that one, uh, if you're interested in Ape Comics, though, my favorite book about it is Comics Gone Ape, uh, which was edited by Michael Urey and has come out through Tomorrow's Publishing. It does a lot of interviews with your more famous ape artists, uh, editors, writers, talking about you know why apes are so popular in comics. There's some beautiful art in there, too. There's some great Brian Bowen stuff and some great Frank Cho uh, ape work inside of there. So for this week, that's the answer to the question if you have any questions please send them to Tom at around comics good day
0: when he's not writing the continuing adventures of Catwoman Will Pfeiffer is a DVD and movie reviewer for the Rockford Register Star. Here's Will to tell us about what's happening in
8: DVDs. With the Hollywood writer's strike showing no signs of ending soon, it looks like the upcoming season of ABC's Lost is going to be a very short one. Thankfully, the third season arrives on DVD Tuesday giving all you lost nerds a chance to relive a pretty solid run of shows and endlessly debate that crazy ending which surprised everyone by swapping the standard flashback for a startling flash forward. The seven-disc set also has plenty of extras, including commentary tracks, an on-set diary, and a pretty impressive clip of Terry O'Quinn, aka John Locke, demonstrating his knife-throwing skills. Also out this week is The Bourne Ultimatum, the third film in the Jason Bourne series, Once again, Matt Damon plays the amnesiac secret agent who doesn't let his clouded memory interfere with killing lots of people. The strong cast also includes Scott Glenn, Patty Considine, and David Stratham, and Paul Greengrass returns to the director's chair. And, just in time for Christmas, the notorious 1984 slasher flick, Silent Night, Deadly Night is getting an uncut and uncensored DVD release, making it the perfect stocking stuffer. The movie itself is pretty lousy, with bad special effects and even worse acting. But the movie's nasty little trailer created quite a stir in the mid-1980s, angering parents' groups and traumatizing kids who happened to be watching TV at exactly the wrong moment. This week's cult DVD pick is the 2002 movie Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Besides being the directorial debut of George Clooney, it's also one of the best movies of the 21st century, creating a mind-bending blend of dark comedy, social satire, and skewed reality as it traces the life of game show creator Chuck Barris. Barris, played perfectly here by Sam Rockwell, claims to have been a CIA hitman for decades, and as ridiculous as that story seems, Confessions takes it as fact. Clooney co-stars as Barris' CIA mentor, Matt Damon and Brad Pitt have Blinkin' You'll Miss Him cameos, and it may be the only movie starring Julie Roberts that didn't make me want to claw my own eyes out. As a bonus, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind also includes the actual newlywed game clip of the woman answering the question, where does your husband like to make whoopee With the memorable response In the ass That alone is worth the price of a rental That's the DVD report And this is Will Pfeiffer For Around Comics You
0: can find Will's written reviews At the Rockford Register Star By visiting go.rrstar.com And going into the entertainment section You can also visit Will's blog At willpfeiffer.com And remember to read Catwoman Every month that'll take care of another monday edition of around comics the comic culture podcast make sure to come back on thursday for around comics the comic culture roundtable it's an informal and entertaining roundtable discussing the world of comics and pop culture you can visit us online at www.aroundcomics.com you can contact the show via email at info at aroundcomics.com you can also visit us at MySpace and ComicSpace, and if you are inclined to do so, you can leave us a review at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you for listening today and making Around Comics your source for the best comic book news, reviews, and opinions. We'll be back again on next Monday for another edition of Around Comics, the Comic Culture Podcast. In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. Well, you got
4: my-
0: Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, retransmission, or rebroadcast without the express written consent of Around Comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of Around Comics, and this has been an Around Comics production. Copyright 2007.
5: Got my love in, baby, now you gone. Got my love, baby, now you gone. I know you didn't love me, baby. I know you did me wrong. Let me come home. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I got the, got the love.